I once told Shorty, all you need to do is put in that Wu-Tang double CD and you get all the education you need. That's what we're going to do. We're going to tape uh, two different pods. So we're going to drop one tonight. It'll be Thursday and then uh, Friday. I've been away living in a hotel, different hotels. I'm great. Thanks for asking. How are you, Saruti? I'm doing good. I'm trying to keep up. So you were in Denver. Um, when I went out to L.A., I went out to L.A. for, um, well, I had to go out there to, to finish this house thing. I ended up buying a townhouse instead of renting. And it's new construction, so it's not ready. And I'm, I'm unfortunately, well, I, I do like, there's some parts of Connecticut, but I really, like, this is the time where I came back where I go, all right, dude, it's, it's time to get out of here. But I'm, I'm staring right at Rudy. We're face to face here. So I went out to LA, uh, all star week, hit up a couple things early and then decided, you know, I really just want to hang out at the beach, my little beach town. I was invited to Lil Wayne's house for an afternoon though, through a mutual friend. Um, but it was an hour away in the middle of the day. And then I had to be back at the beach that night of Friday. So I afternoon. Yeah. It was a little, I guess they were shooting a video and they'd rented a place. They just and needed hot dudes to, to hang out. They needed that. a lot of hot dudes. <laughs> right. So, and honestly, they asked me if I knew any hot dudes that wanted to come by. <laughs> so they were like, do you have any, like, did you have any NFL buddies or anything around? And I did. And then, you know, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I can handle this. And I kind of regret it because I think the life experience of it would have been really cool. I think this is where you and Michelle would accuse me of name dropping here again, but I'm just Definitely. telling you a story. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, so that's kind of how that played out. And then I shot over to Denver, but I didn't really hang out in Denver. I went and I was going to drive up to Aspen for most of the week. This is last week. And the roads got pretty bad. Coming up through the pass there, get a little nippy. And I stopped in Vail for a night and I was just getting work done. I'm actually getting a lot of work done. Sitting in a hotel room in solitude. Yes, I found the right hotel for those asking. Thank you. Uh, that joke was relayed quite a bit when people found out I was in Aspen for a couple of days. Uh, went snowmobiling. Great time. Lazy Seven Ranch, I believe the name of the place we rented the, uh, the sleds from. There was an actual racetrack that they let us get on. I mean, I don't think it was, you know, heavy competition. This wasn't, this wasn't D1 snowmobiling, but it was, it was pretty funny. And, you know, they, you just stay in single file and not be that guy. And then, the I don't know if you call him an instructor. He's our tour guide in the snowmobiles in Aspen. I mean, he's sick, beautiful. We're in these little canyons around the backside of some of the trails, these awesome mountains. They served as hot tea, cider, whatever you needed. And uh, the, the they, they brought us over the racetrack, and they're like, all right, if any of you guys want to go and pass each other, you can pass, but don't go too fast in the corner or you're just going to mop yourself. You know, like some lady lost an arm doing it once. So, of course, I was like, so we can pass, right? And everybody's looking at each other. And I just, we got four laps on the thing, and I tried to see how many people I could pass. But I did make sure that I didn't crash into the corner. So that's what I've been up to, and I came back the other night. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know what else we got. All right, we got McShay from the Combine. He's in 15 minutes, we're hoping. You never know. And then we'll do the Van Pelt. And then my, I guess my apology to the 76ers. All you guys out there blogging, sending me the video, murdering me. Uh, and I deserve it because I was wrong about the Sixers. But I'll try to explain myself in further detail. So that's the double CD. Rosillo forever. We'll start with the NFL draft. We are bad at evaluating quarterbacks. And we keep saying, and I don't mean me in particular, like I'm bad at it. But so are the people that do it. And instead of saying, okay, everybody just sucks at drafting quarterbacks or saying who's good or who's not, I think we just have to accept that this is a very complicated position to figure out. 
if you want to evaluate basketball players, I've always said the NBA is much much better at drafting their players than the NFL is. I mean, it's just it's not even comparable. And yet, I of course from Captain NFL guy Sunday Zubas will say, "Ever heard of Kwame Brown?" I'm like, I have heard of Kwame Brown. I believe, yes, no, exactly. I did. Yes, there are busts. There are busts in both sports, but. I'm not knocking the NFL for this. What I'm saying is that the NFL, to go ahead and draft these quarterbacks, it's really, really hard to do. And yet, whatever approach you want to use, old school, three yards in a cloud of dust, you know, doesn't like all the outdated football stuff that we kind of grew up with thinking was the right way to, you know, dominate the clock, ground control, push them around. Come December, you're going to run the football. Like that stuff doesn't matter anymore. But even as the game has evolved to, as I've always said, like maybe people just got smarter and go, and maybe instead of running it up the middle at 20 people, we should just throw it more because the the reward is that much better than just, hey, let's push some guys around in front of us. Um, so we're just, we're still, here we are in these modern times. You could use any analytics you want, different approaches. You can have all these different things, psych tests. You just don't know. So if you're drafting in the NBA and you go, okay, is this guy a good shooter? There's a really good chance that you will be able to watch a player in college, his one year in college. You can watch him through practices, you know, how involved all these guys are. And you'll likely be able to say, this guy can shoot or this guy can't. Or at the very least, if you are a great shooter, you're probably going to figure out how to make shots in the NBA. And I mean, you know, going along with the size thing and everybody hopefully being, you know, an acceptable level of size. There's, I don't think there's that thing for NFL quarterbacks or at least college prospects. I don't think there's that one thing that you go, okay, he does this well, so I know that this will translate. And so I went through 21 drafts and I went through all of the first round quarterbacks since 1997. All right. I'm, yes, I haven't done a podcast in two weeks. So I had a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of prep, a lot of prep. All right. So Rudy, so I want you to be, as always, kind of my conscience on this one. I think I was fair. There were 56 quarterbacks drafted. Okay. 56 of them from 1997 on. Why did I go 1997 and not just 20 years? Because I just like including Jim Drunken Miller in anything I can because Jim Drunken Miller, the Virginia Tech quarterback, famously released like a hype video of him running through walls and a wheelbarrow full of cement blocks. And I'm just, you know, you have to respect that no matter how bad Drunken Miller was as a pro quarterback. Yeah, former, former Niner great. Exactly. Yeah. Like if if you knew, if you, had a, name. if you had a buddy named Carl Drunken Miller and they're like, well, that guy's jacked, and he probably eats rocks. And you'd go, yep, he does. So that's why I included him 97 on. So I didn't include any grading or any summary of a quarterback's career from 2017 because we just don't know yet. Okay, Deshaun looks terrific. We don't know um, you know, about the other guys. I, I think that that's the fair thing to do. So I started with Lance Goff and Paxson. So it's just first-rounders. And I did basically a yes, this is somebody the franchise can be happy with for 10 years, which is still kind of a wide open variance of, of a quarterback. I did a question mark and then I did busts. And even on some guys that like they're straight up, yep, didn't work, bust. And I don't even like calling guys busts. Like I didn't like saying that about Teddy Bridgewater because it's an injury thing. It's kind of my Greg Oden thing. Like to me, Greg Oden was going to be a really good player if he stayed healthy, not a bust. Awful injury situations. We can have a different way of categorizing loss of value, but this is an econ, man. It's a Rosilla podcast. So if I go through this whole thing of the 50, 56 quarterbacks, I have 20. Let's see here. Let's see the final notes. 27 busts 
of 56. So we're at half right there in two decades of first rounders by the guys that get paid paid to do this. There's probably five more guys I could have called a bust. So that'd put us at 32, which gets to the whole point of the lead up with it, with Josh Allen, Wyoming, with Darnold, with Rosen, with Baker, with Lamar, with people that love Mason Rudolph. I'm telling you, like history tells us three of those guys are going to stink. And I don't know who the three are. I know I like Rosen. I know I like Donald Moore at the beginning of the year and made excuses for his picks because if you watch those games, you could kind of see what he was doing. And then he kept screwing up ball security stuff. I've watched two Josh Allen plays. I've watched him four games, but two plays this year where he got sacked and they were as impressive as any plays I've seen from any quarterback because I couldn't believe what he was doing. Lamar is one of my favorite all-time college football players to watch. He will be probably for for me forever, top 10 favorite player to watch at the college level. But we'll get to the Lamar stuff here in a little bit. So the point that I'm trying to make is, is that for all the love, and you got a guy you like, and I got a guy that I like, you and I are just two dudes talking, but the guys that get paid to do this still haven't figured it out. And I'm not knocking these guys. I don't like that all GMs are stupid. Scouts are stupid. This guy's stupid. That guy's stupid. If you want to go with wins, there's plenty of guys that have won a million games in college that didn't get a sniff in the NFL. None, no success whatsoever. We want to talk dual threat. Most of the dual threat guys, there is a correction on those guys. You want to talk completion percentage? I sent out a tweet that I will get to a little bit later. Completion percentage doesn't mean anything anymore. At least a high completion percentage doesn't equate to anything. So again, if you're looking at basketball players, you could say this guy shoots well. This guy plays great defense. You know, this guy is this. This guy has elite athleticism and you will likely see some sort of translation from basketball at the college level to pro basketball. And with quarterbacks, it's still a mystery. All right, so let's go through the bus, and you tell me fair, unfair. Okay. I know this one hurts. Just copious notes here. All right, Drunken Miller bust. Yep. Leaf bust. Yep. 99, Cade McNown bust. Yep. Achilles Smith bust. Definitely. Tim Couch bust. Yep. All right, I put McNabb, and like as a good barometer of how I'm doing this, I put McNabb as a franchise guy. Right? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely. not that's not even debatable. Culpepper, I put a question mark on. And you could tell him, you can't call Culpepper a bust, but you also can't call him your franchise problem solver. Yeah, if your barometer was 10 years, so you'd be happy. I'm not sure you'd, you'd be happy with 10 years. But yeah, there was a good run there. Yeah, there was a good run. Good run. A lot of pop-ups to Moss. And, and yep. you know, I mean, he had some Just dudes. Rolling, you, know? you know, like even Chad Penning in the 2000, I put him as a question mark. Yep. He, he had a nice little run. He's certainly not a bust, but... You had to solve the Pennington issue with the health and then him kind of reinventing himself. All right, so we have no debate on any of those. All right, let's keep rolling here. We got that takes us through uh, the rest of the 90s, 2000. All right, so 2002, you got David Carr bust, Harrington bust, Patrick Ramsey bust. Wow, that was a. All right. 2003, I put Carson Palmer in between yes and question mark. He's probably closer to franchise guy. I wouldn't debate you on it. I just was trying to, you know, come up with my own little thing and keep things moving here. Uh, Leftwich bust. Uh, 2004, unbelievable draft, but you don't get these drafts. Ben, Rivers, and Eli. Three franchise problem solvers. You all said J.P. Lossman in there. Bust. Jason Campbell in 2005. Bust. That's the Rogers Alex Smith. And I put Alex Smith as a franchise guy. All right? That's was, for you. I was going to say, the only one that I think we might have been questionable on. But yes, I, he, no. for 10 years, he's been good. No problem. No problem with that whatsoever. And that Rogers guy is pretty good, too. 2006, Vince Young bust. I don't care what his one-loss record was. He's another one of the dual-threat guys that, after a little bit of success, got exposed. And it just wasn't the same. And I'm telling you, Vince Young, like Vince Young isn't this completely misunderstood quarterback from the 32 teams. It wasn't working. Liner bust. Hate to say it, bro. 
I'll see you at Love the beach. You, but, yeah. See you at the beach soon. Uh, Jay Cutler, I put him between question mark and bust. I'd rather put him as a bust, but you got some starts out of him, and for a little while he was kind of the Bears guy, even though I couldn't stand it, and I've always thought he was a disaster. All I right? don't think he's. A, I don't think it's even close that he's a bust. I think he's a question mark. All right, put him a question mark. That's fine. Two thousand seven, Jamarcus Russell, Brady Quinn, bust, bust. Two thousand eight, Ryan franchise guy. I think Flacco's more question mark, but you know what? If you want to put him Ooh. in franchise, that's fine. I don't want to argue about it. Two thousand nine, Stan- Matthew Stafford, franchise guy. Not a total bust on Sanchez, but pretty close to it. Josh Freeman, bust. 2010, no franchise guy because I put Bradford as a question mark, which I think is at least fair there because I don't think it's right to just call him a complete write-off bust. Tebow, bust. Cam Newton, franchise guy in 2011. Here's some bust for you. Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert, and Christian Ponder. Picks 8, 10, and 12. All bust. Not debatable. Andrew Luck, franchise guy 2012. Save it. We'll talk at the end of this year. Different podcast. Right. Different podcast. 2012 busts include RG3, Tannehill, and Brandon Whedon. Tannehill, maybe not entirely fair, but come on. I, I can't put him as, I can't put him at question mark right now. That could be TBD. With 2014, Bortles, the best I could give you is between question mark and bust. I know they re-signed him. Maybe this whole thing works out. It was headed to bust city before the season even kicked off. Manziel, total bust. Bridgewater, not entirely fair. Boom, boom, boom. All right. Wentz, franchise guy, yes. I still have Goff kind of in that question mark, leaning towards franchise because it looked really good this year. Paxton Lynch, total bust. Can't believe the Broncos are smart as they are drafting him in the first place. And then, you know, if we go 2015, Winston Mariota, probably in between that franchise and question mark thing as of now. But again, with Mariota, He's another one of those dual threat dudes that I think at times, I don't know, we got really excited about that guy. And I went into the year, I'm like, I'm just not that sure. And I'm still not that sure about him because I always think you got to figure out a way to beat people from the pocket consistently be one of those guys. Okay, so the NFL isn't good at it. But is it because there's this group of other people that could figure it out better than they can? Or do we need to start focusing the blame on that it's just, what do you do? Like, what do you do? Arm strength means nothing. Okay means nothing. The Kyle Bowler stories of this guy throwing the ball through the uprights from his knees 70 yards away means nothing. It would be like me, say I was 6'6", 6'7", couldn't dribble, couldn't shoot, but could hit the rim with my head. And then then, GMs would go, dude, you see his, his hops? So what we do with this arm strength thing is the most misleading, stupid thing. Although I know at times when Josh Allen rips it or he really spins it, it's pretty freaking impressive. So you're, it, it's what you're asking these guys to do is you're asking them to pass a test and you don't know what the test is going to be on. Like I remember sitting with Mike Ditka back in the day when I was still doing game nights. We're talking a decade ago, right? He would roll in in his suit post countdown. I'd be sitting in one of those side studios on a Sunday. I'd be watching all the games on 10 different TVs. I'd be getting ready to do the big NFL recap show or whatever that night. And Ditka would come in with a nice suit from the 20s and he'd have a huge shine and we'd watch games together. And he taught me stuff. You know, I mean, this is incredible. It was incredible. And I mean, 20s in style, not, not the year he bought it. Um, the guy had some flair, man. I mean, what, what can we talk about? I mean, if there was a Gatsby party that broke out, Ditka was going to be ready. Like a thick pinstripe. Yeah. I mean, he's by the, like, by the way, he's the like guy, Henry Ford got a cell phone number. The guy you just described, the basketball player, was Jan Vesely. Jan Vesely's a good one, but we were so excited that he had a little bit of an edge yeah, as a Euro guy and wasn't passive, and it didn't matter because end to end, he looked incredible. But that's a good, he, he good could job. Could not play. Couldn't play basketball. 
was that? You know, Yi Jinlian was another guy who's jacked now. And, um, you know, congrats to him for just, you know, getting his core strength up. But, you know, Dick, uh, we were watching a Packers game and Favre was playing. And there were little things that, you know, I didn't, I don't, you know, I didn't play football at any level. Anybody, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't. And forget about like understanding quarterback stuff. And there's little things that like guys that played just point out, like standing next to Stanford Steve for six years on the road, watching all these college football games. And then you go, oh, okay, you know, look at this or look at how in a silent state, you know, just all these things that I didn't know about and I'd learned about them. So Ditka, we were sitting there watching Favre and Favre gets absolutely murdered right after he throws a touchdown pass. And I'm like, okay, what's, and Ditka gets up out of his seat and goes, man, he's like, oh, Favre, back. Because that guy's got the balls of a mountain lion. And I'm going, what? You know, like I didn't know, like I wasn't quite sure. It's like, okay, he got his, you know what, handed to him. But why is this, you know, is this just Favre love? Like, what is it? And I kind of just looked at him and he could see that I was looking for like a further, like, were you just freaking out? Or was there something there? And he goes, hey, he goes, look. He goes, he saw that he was going to get killed. He goes, but Look at where his tight end is. You know, they were maybe the 12 yard line or something like that. Maybe it's third down. He goes, it's third down. He's at the 12, you know, he, or he's dropped back to the 12 and it was third and goal from the eight, say. And he's dropped back and he's sliding out to his right and he goes, and his tight end is caught up in the wash here and he's just trying to get him clear. And he goes, he knows he's going to get murdered, but he in that position decided to make, he's going, okay, I'm just going to get killed here, but I'm going to give my tight end another, another step or two to get free and I'm going to take this hit. So it wasn't like just stepping up and, Hey, I'm going to get hit. It was, there was just a little bit more where it was like a conscious thing. Like, okay, I know I'm getting hit on this one and I could throw it through the back of the end zone, but I'm going to take the hit. I'm going to do all these things. I was like, Oh, okay. All right. So that was just different than a guy getting blasted in the play. And that was Ditka football one-on-one. We can still have the smartest guys that evaluate talent ever do this. And, and, the returns are never going to be that good. I mean, this is this is all modern stuff here. This is twenty something year, twenty one years of draft picks. I gave you twenty seven of fifty six that are lock busts, and maybe it's thirty two, and maybe it's thirty two. So if five guys go in the first round, two are going to stink. There's what one of those drafts that I told you was you got three franchise solving guys, two thousand four. Rivers, who I actually think is the best of the three, of Ben and Eli, and everybody would tell me I'm wrong. And I know why. I mean, you know, it's not just rings, but I don't, I don't think there's any question that Rivers has been the better quarterback than Eli. You know, the Ben thing, I'd probably give up. I'd probably go, all right, you win, change the topic. Let's get apps. I want to talk about Lamar Jackson. I want to talk about what Polian said. We're going to do all that, but let's get McShay first. Live from the Combine, it is uh, Todd McShay. And Todd's going to be a... Re- I, I would say a guy... We were going to do this thing where I wanted you to write a scattering report on me, and I was going to write a scattering report on you, but since it is right before the draft, maybe we'll wait until the summer when you're out in Nantucket. Uh, I, would, more- I would have a blast doing that in, in May. I actually don't know if I want you to do it on me, so <laughs> I'm a little nervous. Okay. So- I, did, I mean, there would have to be like a public version and then a... <laughs> and then a uh, and then a real one. Then a real one, a real one. All yeah. right. Well, maybe maybe we'll just you know. Who knows? No, well, no, we can have fun with it without. We're all getting older now. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so I just got done with like an opening rant to this whole thing. 
going, you know, there's nothing. Everybody hates you. I got buddies that think you suck. I have friends that think Mel Kuyper's the worst human being in the world. And just every draft guy is an idiot, and you're all terrible at it. And I go, okay. But if you're if you're using their misses on quarterbacks, then you have to call all 32 GMs morons, which I don't like doing. I think it's just a stupid – we just love – Kind of treating the world like we're Nelson and going, ah, you suck. You, you're ter- terrible at this. And I just went through all the numbers. Like the half of these first rounders, the last two decades are going to be busts. So it's not five. If it's, if it's six guys, if it's Baker, if it's Lamar, if, if Mason Rudolph is in that group with Allen, Darnold and Rosen, that means three of these guys are going to stink just based on history. Who knows? So before I get to all your breakdowns on those guys, like why is it that in 2018, and I'm not complaining about it, but what leads you as you've done this now for so many years where you go, I don't know if it's ever going to get any better trying to figure out these guys can be Sunday quarterbacks. All right. Pause right there, Rosillo. Sorry. Hold on one second. It's a good start. This is really intense. It must have been room service. I asked for the pineapple sorbet, sir. This isn't yep. this is some website anymore. On sports, hey, sorry, dude. Yeah, no problem. Um, no, it's it's so hard, man. And I don't want to sit here and bore people because it's just, you know, it doesn't matter what I say. And every year, you want to find that guy. I'll say this: I, a lot of it can have to do with where they wind up, who's coaching them, and then the supporting cast around them. There's only a few like transcendent quarterbacks and it really in like the last 20 years, look, what's the, what's the list? Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees. I wouldn't say Matt Ryan's there. I don't, Philip Rivers isn't. I, I was, I was kind about it. Like I put Stafford and Matt Ryan and cam there because at least for 10 years, you kind of like that box is checked. Yeah. Roethlisberger. Yeah, of course. Russell Wilson is, is, yeah, yeah, Russell. I mean, Russ is awesome, man. I mean, you know, like I went into it in the beginning, going, "Okay, he's got a defense; he doesn't have to throw it a ton." Thank God they have him now. So there's a third of the league that right now has elite quarterbacks. I would say, you know, elite or hovering around. You, you think know, it's ten? It's close. I mean, okay, Brady, all right, all right. For the sake Brady of Rogers, yeah, around yeah. there, ballpark. But when you look over time, as as you're talking about, you wind up with like seventeen percent hit rate in the first round? Because remember, not all those guys were first-rounders. Breeze was in the first round. Tom Brady was a sixth round. So it's about 17% in terms of guys that turn out to be, like, the top tier. And it's around 30 – what is the number? I think it was 38% wind up being guys that you're like, happy with, that you feel like you got a chance. You know what I mean? So it's not even – it's not even one out of two. It like – if we have six, and I don't think it's going to be six, I think it's going to be four or five with Lamar Jackson being the, the swing guy, and I think Mason Rudolph's going to wind up being a second-round pick. But it would say we have five. That means that it's highly likely that only two will turn out to be really good, and probably just one will be in that top tier. All right. Do you crazy. do you talk to anybody that has like a crazy? Th- you don't have to name the GM. You can if you want to. That's great. We're a very open podcast. But yep. Like when you're talking to these guys that do it, and I know, and you're you are a really humble. Like you've been offered jobs all the time, and then they found out how much money you're worth. So then they go, all right, you know, can hey Todd, can I have a job? Um, well, I mean, 
I'll leave that one alone. <laughs> See, that's how I'm with you. Just leave. like I know you could work for NFL teams if you wanted to. So you're you're in line with these guys. Like, has anybody ever said anything about like, hey, you know, we do this wrong or we need to do better, or I have this crazy theory, but I'm afraid to bring it up in a draft room. Like, what what do you hear about this position that you know has, has made you think about how you watch these players? Well, I mean, teams teams are constantly looking and relooking at how they're evaluating. I think there are certain teams that put too much emphasis on the the prototypes, the size. I think there's certain teams that put too much emphasis on arm strength and just the you know big hands and all that. But then you go back and you do statistical analysis on it, and it, it is one in a million that you get a Russell Wilson or a Drew Brees. And the hand span thing, it, there is some correlation. But bottom line is, what's really important here is, I think teams are starting, we're seeing a little bit of a trend, thankfully. In years and years and years we've gone, with teams trying to run their pro-style system with their long verbiage that everyone's seen on John Gruden's you know, quarterback camps, 20-something words to, to spit out a play. And there's a lot of guys for several years, about a decade now, that are coming into the league and may, maybe had three, three words, maybe had one word for a play. Well, right, call, run, call me a play in college. Through. Call me a play in college that uh, they would run at Oklahoma State. Blue. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's the exact word, but like, it, it's one word or two words, and they and they would only run twenty plays. I mean, I've sat there in in coaches' meetings, and they, you know, we've got mullets got like twenty five, thirty plays, and and they're gonna run the hell out of them, and they're gonna score a ton of points. So that no one's doing them a disservice. So my, I guess my point is, we're finally seeing. I think like Sean McVay goes to goes to L.A., and with Jared Goff, who was miserable under a coaching staff that can coach some positions and obviously had some success in the league, but they could not coach coach quarterbacks that current that previous regime, period. We're talking Fisher here, right? Yeah, Fisher. The O.C., Winky, right. Winky was the quarterback coach. I just don't – they were trying to make Jared Goff do things that he wasn't used to doing, and why are we trying to do that when we can – Simplify the reads and put him in a comfort zone. We're drafting him because he was so successful in what he was doing. And we can't always say, well, you know, the college game and the hash marks and the speed and all that. Yeah, there are certain elements of that. But Deshaun Watson winds up with, with, the, Houston, with the Houston and the Texans are able to completely adjust what they're doing. They take the verbiage and change it. They adapt to the quarterback. And that's the thing I think you're going to start seeing more and more teams have to do because why we're spending $25 million guaranteed on a guy we just drafted in the top five to be our quarterback of the future. We obviously did that because we have a need. And, and the last five in the first round we've seen, they were traded up for, so we gave away extra. And so ultimately, if you're going to do that, why are we going to have him sit around for a couple of years? Why not adjust and figure out what they were doing and then we'll we'll start to do some more of that, and maybe we'll play faster, and maybe it'll be easier. And I, I think Houston and, and L.A. are a couple examples of teams adjusting. The air raid offense could never work, and then McVay got with got with Goff. And, you know, Deshaun Watson wasn't going to work, but it turns out he has unbelievable intangibles and leadership skills, and he's just an instinctive playmaker. And I think now you're starting to see teams look at it and say, all right, if we take Baker Mayfield, 
if we take Lamar Jackson, we've got to adjust the way we think a little bit in order to to try to get the best out of them. So, you know, the Baylor system when it was Bryles and mm-hmm. you know, you would you would look at all these guys and you go, okay, RG three was somebody that Washington adapt to. I think along the same lines where you're talking about yeah. McVeigh and Goff, and then the story goes that that RG three came back with his dad and went, hey, uh, you know, we don't want to run this list of plays. And I'm like, what the hell? What are you talking about? Like, we figured it out, and it would be as it was explained to me because I don't know it as well as you do, but it was reading half the field with a deep with a cross and then just always kind of a check down and you could keep the football moving and it was really easy for every quarterback and whether it's petty who doesn't look like anything's translated rg3 who couldn't keep himself healthy florence who decided to just remember nick florence like the numbers he put up and he goes you know what by the way i'm good i don't even want to play after this uh like i always kind of go well wait a minute then who was right who is right like why like as you're explaining this is Bryles an idiot for putting up 50 and taking Baylor no. from doormat to potential no, Big No, and Urban Meyer wasn't an idiot to try, for not trying to change Tim Tebow's mechanics. And and if it's working, it's working. But I'll say this. Here's what you have to figure out then. Because there's, there are still going to be Bryce Petties and, and those kind of guys. And remember, he was he was picked later. He wasn't a first-round pick. No, no, but. you're right. But, I mean, I guess I'm just like – I remember Riddick being in studio with me one day. He goes, there's literally nothing applicable about what they run that – that lets you get an understanding of what a guy can do on Sunday. And you're like, wow. Right, and I think with Mason Rudolph, that's the hard part. To me, there's a lot of wide-open throws. And then you've, you've got to figure out, well, how does this guy handle pressure? And, you know, at some point, it, it, it boils back down to football. And so now the pass rush is getting there. What, how does he handle himself? And in Oklahoma State, there wasn't a ton of pass rush. And when, when it did come, Mason Rudolph struggled. And he, he struggled to move in the pocket. He would panic sometimes, and he struggled to extend plays. Baker Mayfield was was Johnny Manziel earlier in his career. Everything was a fire drill, man. Everything. It was hard to watch. He, and he, the same thing with Manziel. I'm not talking anything off the field here. So, yeah. you know, everyone relax. I'm talking about on the field. Manziel would – I can remember sitting in a, in a room in um, – I think it was Mobile, actually, either Mobile or here in Indianapolis, and watching with a couple other scouts and just sitting there being like, "Oh my God, are you kidding me?" He has a set; it's first and ten. He's got a seven-yard checkdown. Why is he not taking it? He's got a twelve-yard easy throw, and he's just running around for the sake of running around and trying to get a fifty-yard play out of it. And you know, everyone said, "Well, he has he has magic. He has magic." And yeah. You know what he did. But he never learned how to play within the system and then let the magic come out like Russell Wilson has learned to do. And late in his career, Baker Mayfield did the same. I had a third-round grade on Baker coming into the year. After even the Ohio State game, he was doing the same stuff, ignoring easy throws, turning everything into, a, into chaos, and, and it just not playing within the system. They lose to Iowa State, something must have happened. And I need to, and I want to ask Lincoln Riley when I talk to him next. It must have been an emphasis thing or whatever it was. From that point on, the next game on, Baker started playing within the system in the pocket. And then when things would break down, that's when he started doing all the quote unquote magic stuff. But um, but that was the big transition in him. And and I think he just he's shown he's he's accurate enough. I, I like the dude. I know that there's questions about him wanting to be a celebrity and all that stuff. I think he's a rare rare guy in that he really does love the celebrity stuff and what it brings but he 
really loves the football and wouldn't know what to do without it. And I think he's got a chip on his shoulder, and I think he plays with more energy and instincts than a lot of quarterbacks I've, I've watched. And that's why I think he's got a chance to be another one of the, you know, one in a hundred thousand, whatever the odds are, Russell Wilson, Drew Brees. All right, so you're in on Baker. Okay, so how did you how do you rank the six guys then? In order, don't you don't, have to give me, you don't have to give me the full breakdown because we'll separate it a little bit more. All right. Yeah, no, that's fine. Sam Darnold won. I trust him the most. He's the most complete and has the best makeup. Josh Rosen, two. I, I'm still working on the who he is because I think some of it's overblown, but I think some of it's real. But from the passing standpoint, he's the best in this group. If you had to win a game in the NFL, pocket passer tomorrow, he's the guy. Number three is is a struggle. I'm gonna I say Josh Allen. He's he's my trap player. That's the problem. I'm really struggling with this. Just being completely blunt. I've always hated the big arm, big guy, makes flash, you know, splash throws, but is not, in, is not consistent. There's something about this guy, though, that I think, I think he can improve with some minor footwork work, and I think he's starting to do it and realizing touch, and I think he's going to be a really good player, but he's the type of player I typically have been like, ah, I'm all set with Mettenberger and all those other guys, you know? And then I would have Baker just right behind him, but I don't, you know, I don't think there's a big gap there. Then Lamar, I've got to know that we have, we have a Kyle Shanahan type that's going to work with him and get the most out of him while disguising some things. But I do think he's a quarterback first. And I know people don't want to hear it, but th- there is a fallback. And everyone I talk to in the league agrees that the fallback is what's uses him in some packages, what's find a way to get the ball in his hand. This guy's the most electrifying player in college football with the ball in his hand the last two years. He's got to be able to do some special things in the NFL because they typically do. And I, I think some way, some, somehow you can find a way. And then finally, I would, I would say Mason Rudolph, but I think he's like a major step down. And I think he's a lot closer to like uh, Falk from Washington State and, and Kyle Loletta from, from the Spiders. <laughs> Um, and some of those other guys, then I do. He's close to Lamar and everybody else. So you don't even have a first round grade on Mason, then, do you? No, I have a third. Okay, all right. So, but you think the other five? Do you have a first round grade on Lamar? I don't, but I, it, I do think. Are you that a racist? There's a really strong chance he could be, you know, final ten picks of the first round. Uh, all right. If you were Andrew Luck and your GM came to you and said, "Okay, here are the two players that are on the board. We got." Saquon Barkley and Quentin Nelson. Who do you want? If you were luck, who would you pick? Mm. Saquon, because he's because he's going to touch the ball twenty five, thirty times a game. He can block for me. I know he's not going to block as much as Quentin, but <laughs> those, but those can, Nelson rips that you've tweeted out, those Nelson rips that you've tweeted out are uh, insane, <laughs> dude. That's O line <laughs> porn. He is. Uh, he's. He just ripped off like 35 reps today on the bench press. Not that that isn't necessarily the biggest deal, but I mean, he's just like I'm struggling to find a hole in his game. Hey, by the way, like so when I get really excited about a guard, I go, okay. Yeah. The last time you got this excited about a guard, it was Chance Womack from yep. and and Jonathan Cooper both in that Cooper. Same draft. They were saying Cooper were went ahead of 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 Chance, didn't he? Yeah, I think he went like one or two, yeah, a few six I think and so. nine. Uh, I think it was six, six and seven, maybe. Okay. What? Why? Why wasn't Womack was so good in college? 
What? I know. How do guards get worse? Like, how does that happen? I don't know. It's funny because most of most of the tackles that are really high picks that that are kind of assumed. Although I shouldn't even say that Cam Robinson was a bust out of Auburn. That's well, I couldn't believe anybody. Wrong. I couldn't believe San Diego took Fluker where they took him. Like that was one of those where you you're, yeah. you watch him enough in person, you go, "This guy's like, he's he's an off the bus all American, but he's actually not that good." And then guess no. what? It's like immediately like, oh, we got to switch him. And that's the time when a fan or somebody, if you were an Alabama fan or a guy was just watching a ton of Alabama and, and getting to see that kind of player in person, you go, you know what? I don't think he's actually as dominant as he should be. He's a, he's an unbelievable, like this is, this is the sickest physical body in college football right now, but he's not really that good. And then you go, well, how, what do the Chargers see? And be like, did they just see his measurables? Because like, how did you not see that? And that's what, that's why the guy at Buffalo Wild Wings thinks every GM sucks. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, sometimes it's need based. Sometimes you just you look at them and say, "Oh, we can we can move them inside, or we can get," you know. But that was that one was head scratching. I remember that. Okay, let me let me throw this scenario at you. You are Todd McShay. You have just been hired to be GM of plug in. Pick a team in the top. I don't know, man. Because I gotta I gotta have Darnold off. I gotta have Rosen off. Because I think I like Rosen the most out of all the QBs and. I think you and I were very much on the same page, and I'm completely deferring to your amount of studying on this than me. But in the beginning when Darnold was turning it over, it was because he was thought to be the top pick, and everybody wanted to beat the hell out of him. It was like a movie that was getting incredible reviews, and everybody was like losing their minds about. Yeah, Sam Darnold was kind of like Black Panther. And then you show up, and if it's not gone with the win, you're going to be disappointed. But when I was watching Darnold make these mistakes, I <laughs> understood. Right, but it's a great movie. Every, every single person in the country uh, should have to watch Gone with the Wind. But... When he was, when he was making mistakes, I understood those mistakes. I was like, wait a minute. But then it kind of kept happening. And then I looked at Rosen and the bad offensive line and I go, this dude, I think he gets every, like he understands every situation of every drop back. And that is why I like Rosen the most out of this. And I think quarterbacks generally when they're young and they're SoCal guys, (laughs) a lot of those guys have kind of the, you know, that profile of, of yeah, but how many of those guys have have worked out? I think you can be a jerk at quarterback and still be a star. Oh, I think you can be a jerk. I don't yeah. mind. That. That's why I'm still. I'm not, I don't even think I'm he's a jerk. I, I think he's. I don't know, man. I like. I read I this stuff and go. Go ahead. Unusually smart. I think he's unusual, like almost too smart for his own good. And I think he's like a lot of CEOs. CEOs are the biggest a holes in the world, and they're they're quirky and they're just because they only see it their way. And I think, I think he saw his coaching staff and was like, for some of them, it's like, I don't believe what he's telling me to do. I don't think that's the right thing. Now, what, now what you got to figure out is, was he right or wrong? You know what I mean? And yeah, you're right. Like, out, oh, right. Eventually, it's like, can you just do this, Josh? Can you just do this? Right. Right. Because that's you know what? That's exhausting. It that's is exhausting on the staff, and then the player senses it's exhausting. And then the other thing that I continue to hear from multiple people that are in the know is that, and again, I'm, I haven't formed my opinion yet. I, I'll continue digging and digging until I do. All, anything I'm saying is just based off of people I've talked to. I've had a five, seven-minute conversation one time with Josh Rosen. So, again, there's a couple months to go, and, and I'll find out. But I hear, you know, when, when a receiver who he didn't think was as smart as is him or, or as smart as he should be would make a mistake. He would just like negative, negatively react. And so all of a sudden now he's questioning the coaches. 
He's being a pain in the ass to his teammates. Not you can get on your teammates, but you can't be condescending and be a, a you know what. Yeah, right. So there's a difference, and I think you know some people I've talked to said he grew up a little bit towards the end and started to get the leadership thing a little bit. I'm not worried about the partying a little bit when he was the freshman or the the jacuzzi or whatever it was in the dorm room or any of that stuff. And you know what? A lot of smart. stuff said about the NCAA. Imagine having a jacuzzi in your room in college. Imagine. I mean, I'm going to fault him for that. I mean, I was like asking girls that they want to watch Aladdin on VHS. That was my move. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I just, I don't know. He's an interesting, he's an interesting guy to me. And I, I, I think, what he said about the NCAA, everyone's, most people are thinking it and just haven't wanted to say it. I, I'm not accusing him. I'm not faulting him for any of those things. I'm just interested. Can this guy be a part of the team and, like, and galvanize everyone and, and get people to run through a wall for him the way that Mayfield does and the way that Sam Darnold does? Those guys, man, that's a different vibe. When you go in that build, those buildings – when you're around those players, when you talk to the coach, and not even like, you know, the head coach is always going to say nice things because he wants to, he, he's recruiting. Even if he doesn't like the kid, he's still going to say nice things. But you go talk to the other people and some of the, the players, and when they start to tell you stuff when you're not asking and you, you can see it in their eyes, like, those teammates would do anything for Darnold and Mayfield, and there's something to that. Okay, so that was really good, even though I ended up distracting you from the actual question I wanted to ask you. Because all the Josh Allen stuff, like I remember texting you, you made it out to Laramie, right? And I was texting you, I was watching the game. Mm -hmm. That's Isn't that when you get allergic to the horse or something? Dude, I got on this horse. That was for a shoot, right? Like B-roll? So I go out there, it's like, it's the... I love Wyoming. It's the um, Mountain West Conference Championship game. It's December 5th. It's six degrees out there, and I came in with a cold. I wasn't feeling well. End of the year of blues. The end yeah, of the, yeah. yeah. Every year right, of clockwork. Right. right. <laughs> we get out there, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting through. It's fine. We go into, for, for a shoot, you're right, for the uh, pregame. Steve Levy, who's always thinking creatively, and he's a, a maniac, and I love this guy. He's like, you know what? We should just go get on horses and do our, do our open on horses. I'm like, all right, let's do it. I didn't know I had a, a horse allergy. I didn't know. You've never grown up. You're not. A, you didn't grow up with equestrian or anything like that. Well, I actually went in on a horse. I, I own part of a horse, hmm. and I went and nice. I pet it before, but it was outside. Yeah. Okay. Portnoy, my buddy Elio, and I went in on a horse. It was the stupidest decision of my entire life financially. Well, how much uh, money did it cost you to get in on this horse? Uh uh, it wasn't. It was like four thousand, four. Okay. 5, what was the total purchase price of the horse? Uh, I had a quarter, so five, ten, uh, so 20,000. Oh, you had a quarter. All right. So that sounds yeah, a like a, a twenty thousand. We we actually we wound up getting coming in second and third a couple times. And, and what's the prize money on that? But then you got to you. It's not the prize money's pretty good. It's like second. It just depends on what you're. What we weren't running it. And, yeah, uh, you guys weren't at the Preakness. I get that. Right, exactly. We weren't running the Derby. We weren't at Churchill. <laughs> we so it was, it was like, some uh, track in Saugus? No, it was up in the North Shore. I was in Revere. One to, no, one, not one. So, all right, so the there. purchase of the horse is twenty grand, but then there's feed, yep. stable, training. Like, that's that's expensive. So how much was that a month? It's so expensive. It was like a couple thousand a month. From for you. But 
No, it was like okay. $600 a month from me. Our ratios are all off. But, but I think we finally figured out the cost. So how long were you in on this horse? And then how do you get out? Like a year, so like two years. But the but like if eight months in, Portnoy decides he doesn't think that it's being trained properly. And we're <laughs> sending out to, to San Francisco. That's the, the least Golden, surprising thing I've Golden ever heard. Gate, he's, he was the 50%. Elio and I had 25%. You knew that was going to happen with him because he of wanted course. the final call on stuff. He didn't and like he, the grain. Oh, it's just always something. Tell me, uh, Port, tell me about when Portnoy called you to tell you that your horse that you guys were in on was being trained improperly. So he calls me and tells me two days before the first race that we had an injury. <laughs> and our, our horse was a, was a boy, and apparently our idiot trainer, who <laughs> does nothing but win, but he was dumb enough that night to let the horse the stall was right next to a, uh, a female stall. And so our horse was a little horny and tried to kick down the, the stall door the, the night before all night and, and hurt its hoof. So they ship, so Portnoy ships it down to Florida. So now we're paying for the horse to be shipped to Florida. And it's basically sitting in a spa for like five months resting and getting, getting ready. Can you imagine my blood just boiling? Now, we sh- now he decides instead of bringing it back up, because we just wanted to watch the horse race. Yeah, like, this is it. an investment. Like we knew we weren't going to make money, but we just wanted to hang around and like see. Like, I went one morning at like six a.m. and watched it, watched it time and had my stopwatch out. Like I was, I loved the whole thought of this thing. You're like early Bob Kraft. Yeah, I was sitting up in the, you know, sitting on the side watching. Uh, yeah, early Bob Kraft. And so, long short, he ships it out to San Francisco without us even knowing. Calls us the next day and it's like I shipped it out. I shipped our horse out to San Francisco. Smoke Show City is the name of the horse. And then finally, you know, we're like, okay, we're never going to see this horse race. It won a couple, or it came in, like, placed a couple times. We got maybe half of our money back and just got out of it. I don't even know how. I mean, this is what happens when you and I talk. We never get to the point of anything. Yeah, but I think people enjoyed this because right. just Portnoy not. I don't not, remember what you were asking. And for those that don't understand, like, you guys might be like, why are you talking about the Barstool guys? You went, you were, were in grade school with Dave? Yeah, I was born in the same day in the same hospital as is Dave and no, I've known him since I don't know six, seven. Oh, we played, you guys didn't his meet. Dad was our baseball, our little league baseball coach when we were, I think, seven. God, that's so funny. That's yeah, so we've known each other forever. Yeah, and are like uh, what is it, grump, grumpy old men? That's yeah, one yeah. and two. Grumpier yeah, old men is the second one. Grumpier old men is two. Yeah, yeah, that's us. That's us. He's a good. He's a good friend, but he drives me bananas. Whenever I watch Grumpy Old Men and I see them being a little particular about the women, you just want to be like, hey, bro, you guys are almost dead. And I these, just, I, these I, girls I are so hot that. for you. I mean, we're like, what? what's the delay? And I also, Emperor. come on, these guys aren't getting someone that hot. I don't care where yeah. you are. Like, just because she moved a minute, whatever, it doesn't, like, she still has better options than you. Like, like I remember being like, well, I would, I would. Love to have some time with her. I would have, like, I would have taken stuff. her to brunch sober, and bragged about oh, it easily. Yeah, and, and 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 begged for a second date. Right, and my mom would be like, "Isn't she sixty? And I'd go, "We see the sun two months a year, and she's my girlfriend, and I'm into it, and I cuddle with it. during the day. I cuddle, you know. So uh, problems. All right. So is Josh Allen going to get a GM fired? You still don't know if you would pick him. That was going to be my original question. You're sitting there. 
Your GM, well, see, I can't have Rosen and Darnold because I know your grades are higher on them. So, say you're one of the next QB needy teams. Rosen is sitting there. Would you not? I think he's in. I think he's in play at one. No, no. Oh, wait a minute. I'm really, sorry. I meant to say uh, Allen. So, wait a minute. You're yeah. saying Allen's in play at one? I really think so. I think it comes down to Allen for John Dorsey, the the Brown GM. I think it comes down to Allen, Sam Darnold, or Saquon Barkley. It's just a. Whoa! Is that Buzz? It's stuff I'm hearing and fits the mold. He wants, and, and understandably, he wants a a big, strong arm guy, ideally with big hands and, and can handle the, the rain, the weather, the throw the ball through those conditions. And but you better have a, a really good plan in place, and you better really believe that you understand what his issues are and can and can draw them out of. Him. His accuracy is not as bad as 56%. It's really not. He didn't have any receivers. He was constantly under pressure. Constantly. I mean, it was I bad. Mean, it, I told you two of my favorite plays from him this year. He had like two plays in the Iowa game where he almost got sacked, and then one where he did get sacked, and I thought it was like the best. I would have put it on highlight tape. He, I mean, he lost four guys to the NFL from that offense. You don't reload four NFL players on, on offense to Wyoming. But Wyoming I, I usually, yeah, no. But I think he. I think the best thing that happened to him was coming back this year and going through what he went through, because that's the struggle. I mean, that's what it's going to be. It's not going to be like the year before where he had, a, you know, a good amount of talent and things were all rosy and great. I think this past year is going to prepare him mentally for for what it's like. And he's a, he's a good kid. He's a leader. He's not Carson Wentz football smarts wise yet, but there's no reason that he can't get there. And um, you know, I, I think. I really like him. I, I won't put him up in that elite level yet because the accuracy thing just bugs me. It's not as bad as 56%, but it's not 63 65%. What kind of offense do they run, would you categorize? Like, give me a, it's a more higher... It's pro-style than, you know, Wentz came from the same the same thing because those, um, both of those coaches were at um, North Dakota State. Okay, but is there a, another... High level college program, you'd say, like Stanford runs a pro style too, but I don't think that was what they were running. Um, no, no, they, they, well, theirs had a mix of zone read and with with full field reads, and he there was a little bit of shotgun, more so. I mean, a little bit under center, more so shotgun, which doesn't bother me much anymore anyway. Um, but I think USC's is somewhat pro style. I think UCLA's was. Um, I don't think uh, Oklahoma clearly wasn't, but I think um, Lincoln Riley was doing a really good job of developing Baker because he had, you know, he had been in the league. He he's a smart guy. He's a real. He's a damn good coach. I I really think he's going to be a star for a long time, and I, I think he made a huge difference in Baker and, and really developed what clearly was there, but you know hadn't been tapped into yet. Thank you for spending some time. It sounds like you got some room service there, so I hope we didn't interrupt your meal or maybe you ordered a prostitute, but I wouldn't tell anybody that. <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go with a half a chicken. I want to talk about Lamar Jackson some more here. I want to talk about race. I want to talk about Bill Polian's comments that got him into all sorts of hot water, which is absurd to me that he would like he had a comment on a football player. But apparently we just can't do this anymore. We can't separate any kind of critique 
of any black player without racism being thrown around as careless as I can ever. Like, it's just being thrown around. It would be impossible to do this job five days a week without being called. Like, I got called it because I liked Andrew Luck more than Russell Wilson in the beginning. It's like, well, that has to be because he's white and you're white. And you go, okay, here's the deal, man. As I've said all the time, all I can do is try to understand what it's like to be different, whether it's trying to be a female when you're a guy, whether it's trying to understand what a black guy's going through when you're white. I just try at times. And it was one of those Muhammad Ali debates that Will Kane and I got into on the show when we were doing it together, where he kind of started dumping on Muhammad Ali when we were doing kind of this Muhammad Ali thing. And I go, you know, there's just times where you just don't, like if you want to bring up negative Muhammad Ali stuff, that's fine. But how can anyone, white and is... I don't know. I don't know if I want to say like, hey, as pro racist as you can possibly be, but like, how could you, how could you be a white guy and not understand Muhammad Ali coming back from the Olympics, winning the gold medal and going, so wait a minute, let me get this straight. I'm supposed to be some hero and I come back to this country and I get treated like crap compared to when I'm overseas and being young and being impressionable and being a little angrier and then going around college campuses and talk with people and seeing how things were going down back then in the late fifties, early sixties and I don't understand how anybody who's white couldn't go, all right, yeah, I could see how that would really piss you off. And you'd start, you know, when you start talking about the nation of Islam, which even Muhammad Ali later on started basically rejecting, I could see how in the beginning you'd be like, you know what, this stuff is messed up. Okay, so now when I do that, I always try to think, like, okay, so if I have a critique of Lamar Jackson, why am I doing it? Here's Polian, and here's um, here's what, what led to all this outrage. Lamar Jackson, <clears throat> speaking of size. Quarterback or wide receiver on the next level? I think wide receiver, exceptional athlete, exceptional ability to make you miss, exceptional acceleration, exceptional instinct with the ball in his hand, and that's rare for wide receivers. That's A, B, and who else? Name me another one who's like that, right? Julio's not even like that. This guy is incredible in the open field and and great ability to separate, and again, Short and a little bit slight, mm-hmm. and and clearly, clearly not the thrower that the other guys are. He's the accuracy isn't there. Yeah. So, so I would say, don't wait to make that change. Okay, so we have a couple things to dissect there. One, Polian screwed himself by calling him short. He measured it just under six three at the combine, but that's not the point. Okay, he screwed that up. But you know what? I talked for a living for a long time, and I guess I still do. But. I could see how he could make that mistake. And the problem is, though, is that when you make that kind of mistake, then everybody wants to dismiss everything else you're saying. Like, if I were to say, hey, Tom Brady is one of the great unheralded success stories in the history of sports to go from seventh rounder, and then somebody goes, no, 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 he's a sixth rounder. I'd be like, okay, well, it doesn't make the rest of my point void, okay? It's also much like my college football rant, where I went nuts on every biased guy that I think covers this sport, and I go, I'm the one that isn't biased, despite all the claims that ESPN is. When I listen to Joel Klatt on the Big Ten Championship game, not even really acknowledge that Alabama was a factor as another team in the playoff of the Final Four teams, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it, and I claimed at that point, I'm like, that's biased, and I called him Big 12, uh, excuse me, I called him Pac-12 quarterback because he played at Colorado. They had not realigned and gone. And so like one blog wrote about, well, first of all, Rosillo gets it wrong. And by the way, the blog that wrote that wrote on the Kane and or the Rosillo and Kane show, which was classic because they were trying to diminish the whole point that I was trying to make that there's all these biased voices in college football. And they're like, Oh, whatever, idiot. You got the conference wrong. You're like, you're, you're, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Okay. So the short thing screws Polian from the reaction, but you're still focusing on the wrong thing. As I've said, Lamar is incredible. I've never seen guys, especially at the line of scrimmage, 
miss him the way they do. But what do we know about running quarterbacks? They get hurt or they have to stop. He is inaccurate. And now you're going to come back at me with completion percentage. How can you watch games on Saturday and not realize how irrelevant completion percentage is? Now, I went through a bunch of picks and looked at their completion percentage in college, and then I looked at it in the NFL. And then, you know, of course, I got accused accused of selective evidence here. I could have done this all day. It was easy. Bortles, senior year in college, 68%. NFL, 59%. EJ Manuel, Florida State, 68%. 58% in the NFL. Whedon, 72% at Oklahoma State, 58% in the NFL. Tebow, 68% his senior year at Florida, 48% in the NFL. Jamarcus Russell, I couldn't believe he was 68% his junior year. LSU, NFL, 52%. I could have done 20 more. I could have done 20 more. The way the college game is now, as we talked with McShay earlier, it's more efficient. The throws are easier. There's easier reads. There's all these things to do that make your offense better, and that's their job. And if they get it done and put up a ton of points on on a Saturday, done and done. Okay, So nobody's knocking the college guys here. But it's not the same as, hey, this guy shoots 48% from three in college. Likely he'll be a pretty good shooter. It doesn't mean you're accurate anymore because your completion percentage is high on Saturday. I've watched Lamar a lot, and the thing that always stood out to me that I thought was very surprising, despite his amazing big arm and athleticism and all those things, clean pocket, drop back, out to the flat, air mail it way over a guy's head. And he did it a lot. And I, I can't believe anybody that's watched him a lot would argue with anything I've said. So I don't think he's the same prospect as Rosen or Darnold. Allen, I don't know. I give up on that one. The Baker thing, I'm all over the place too. But I just wish we could get to a point where you could say, all right, I don't like Lamar Jackson, as Polian says there, because I think he's inaccurate. Or I think at 210, 215 pounds and his style, it's not going to hold up. And the compliment that Polian gives him is that he is so incredibly elusive. We got to find a way to get this guy with the hand or with with the ball in his hands on a Sunday. Like, how do we do this? And even that sometimes doesn't really work out. The Anthony Thomas was as elusive as any player I've ever seen in college when he was at Oregon. He, I never remember anybody getting a clean hit on him. Right? Now, could there have been a tackle? Yes. Spare me the meme. But it doesn't always, like, the Anthony Thomas, you're an Alex Smith guy. You watch a lot of, she, like, a lot of times you forgot he was even around. There's people listening right now being like, oh yeah, that guy, whatever happened to him? Well, not much in the NFL. I think people were killing Polian too because they're like, oh, well, quarterback touches the ball on every play. Why, why are you only talking about getting the ball, you know, eight to 10 times a game? You're like, well, it's totally different. So we have this dilemma now still in this country and the way we're just talking about football here. Forget all the other stuff that's screwed up, but the way we're talking about football here is that we are, whenever a white person is critiquing a black quarterback, the resistance to that is that it's, it's racially motivated. It's either you're just an outward racist or it's some inherent thing that you have in your head that you don't even understand that you're aware of. And when Warren Moon wants to call everybody out for being like, Hey, there's some racial bias here. The Nolan Naraki stuff that he had on Cam Newton where he talked about him being entitled, egocentric, a me guy, a little phony. It wasn't just a critique of his personality. It was a white guy critiquing a black guy's personality. And Warren Moon got screwed. Screwed. Can you imagine being Warren Moon? It's like, hey, dude, sorry, go to Canada. Oh, wait, you're a Hall of Famer. If Warren Moon is mad, because we're all just a collection of our own life experiences, but if Warren Moon is is constantly thinking that, that, that everybody's racist in these critiques, like it's hard to tell Warren Moon that he's wrong. No, sorry, Warren, sorry you had to go to Canada, but you're wrong. Now, I can disagree with Warren Moon, but I can't ever convince him that he's wrong. I, I, that would be disrespectful for me to even do. But I'm not going to tell you I know Polian. I don't know how many people we really, really know. 
but I have had him on a million times. I've talked to him a million times off the year. And in the fall, he's like, you know, I just don't see Lamar as a quarterback. I just don't think he's accurate enough. But that's not like no one can consume it that way anymore. And it's so maddening. It's so frustrating to go. Oh, so we're doing this again. So, you know, again, it's predictable. It's, it's some guys that I read. It's guys that I'll look at and be like, all right, so Polian, the only thing it could be is that he's a racist. So then why, if I, because I also said the same stuff about Tebow, where I actually printed out the dot-com front page of McDaniels on a phone with Tebow, split screen, and I had a little thing in my office where it had McDaniels, and I wrote in a little bubble where it goes, hey, what have you been up to the last few years? Okay, because I just couldn't believe Tebow was going in the first round. So if I don't like Lamar's accuracy, then someone, if I do, if I was doing a radio show and I said it, then all sorts of blogs would go, oh, Rosillo's racist because he doesn't like Lamar Jackson. So then I would say, well, what, what is your rebuttal when I tell you I didn't like Tebow either? That one doesn't count? Then what? And then it's just sort of this shrug. It's this, mm. okay, but there's the other part of this that I need to make maybe the most important thing that I say out of this whole deal is that you can't always be everything guy. Okay. I, for a long time, had a hard time with bosses that I did not feel that were invested. I go, this guy's not invested. He doesn't get it. He doesn't know content. And just to keep it all fair, she, you know what I mean? Like I just was like, I wanted everybody to care as much as I did every single day. And it just wasn't going to happen. And I had to get over that. I couldn't be on the phone with my dad going, okay, you know, I just wish this boss understood this. I wish, and it's finally like, Hey man, this is kind of you. Like you've got a buddy that's had a million girlfriends and none of the relationships work out. And he's the guy that's hanging out with you and he's single and he's going, Oh, she was crazy. She was crazy. She was crazy. Oh, she was the worst. We were like, man, maybe two are, but 10 in a row or do you suck? Okay. So as I try to refute the claims of Bill Polian being a racist because he thinks Lamar is inaccurate and also thinks he's special if he could be a playmaker in the league, which is totally fair for somebody with his resume to say that. I don't think you should call that out every time. I think what you should do is look at it on an individual basis. But there's also buddies of mine and guys that I've worked with that never think anything's racist, that never think anything is. And you go, well, dude, you can't do that, too. You can't have every police police interaction actually not be the cop's fault. You know, you can't. It's just it seems so predictable. There'll be certain voices where I go, OK, so this guy's going to say it's racist and this guy's never going to say it's say it is. And that's kind of what we're doing now. And that's the part that's so frustrating and we're not getting anywhere. And I always wonder, like, is this actually worse? Is this worse? So it brings me back to the Cam Newton thing. Remember when Nolan Rocky, as I pointed out that whole thing, I want to read some other Nolan Rocky scouting reports on other quarterbacks of recent years. Here's the first quarterback, because I went through these. Naraki on this QB. He is by far, quote, he's by far not a franchise quarterback. He's a system quarterback and a high percentage offense that throws five screens a game and a lot of flares, hitches, digs, dump offs. He doesn't make a lot of downfield NFL throws. He throws into coverage a lot. Ownership better be on board long term. He's sitting there at the top of the second round for me. I'm expecting he'll be one of the first players selected with the way quarterbacks come off the board. All right, system guy doesn't really get it, blah, 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 blah. That's Mitch Trubisky. All right, it gets worse. Here's another scouting report. Because remember, Naraki's been called a racist because he ripped Cam and he said Gino. And by the way, like if you go back and read those scouting reports, like what about Gino's personality did Naraki miss on? We just didn't like that a white guy was criticizing 
uh, the demeanor of a black guy. And I get the history behind that, too. You know, like I remember there was this piece on Mark Jackson being let go by the Golden State Warriors. And there was rumblings that maybe Mark Jackson wasn't the smartest coach. And that is going to be processed differently because of the history of this country and the way we've treated black guys. And this this insinuation decades or maybe even by some now that somehow like they're not smart. Like that's. That's BS, man, and people shouldn't be talking about that. So I understand a sensitivity being heightened on that one. But if we're going to do the Naraki stuff where he's just, by guys that don't even read him, that read one excerpt from a Cam Newton scattering report and go, okay, that guy's racist, here's another scattering report he wrote on a quarterback. Suspect intangibles, not a leader by example or known to inspire by his words, carries a sense of entitlement, prima donna arrogance, seeking out the bright lights of Hollywood, is known to party too much, and is drawn to all the uh, trappings of the game, has defied the odds, proven to be a great college system quarterback, but still must prove he is willing to work to be great, adjust his hard partying Hollywood lifestyle, and be able to inspire his teammates by more than a playmaking ability. That's Manziel. One more. Had a strong supporting cast with receivers who attacked the ball, had a Sense of entitlement, having attended private schools, work with the private QB coaches, not being and was being sheltered by his family, who bought a house on campus so his brothers had a place to stay for every game. Arrogant can come off as having all the answers, um, and will struggle to win a locker room. Still immature, comes across as overly staged, scripted, disingenuous in interviews, and does not have the type of presence uh, desired in the face of a franchise. Is not a fan of the weight room. It's been groomed. However, he is cut from the same cloth as Rex Grossman, J.P. Lossman, possessing an elitist attitude and selfishness that could polarize a locker room, create needless drama, and made a track from a team. That's Jimmy Clausen. That's the same author. So I would ask anybody that's on the fence about this or, you know, like I'm just trying to talk this stuff out loud because this is the stuff we need to talk about. What, what does that tell you? It tells you Naraki consistently will destroy anybody that he thinks has questionable Attitude problems. And to say that like Cam, as great as the peaks have been, there's been some weird valleys in there too. Some of the stuff wasn't totally off. I want to close with this because it's another story, uh, obviously about my favorite TV show and Abram's book, All the Pieces Matter with the Wire, David Simon who created it. David Simon was a lifelong journalist. And the reason why The Wire, I think, was so good is that it wasn't somebody who just sat down at a laptop and was like, I'm going to create this world. He's basically writing a television show based on his entire life's work. And his life's work was pointing out the inconsistencies in the justice system. He was a very sympathetic figure in journalism to black America, especially in the Baltimore area that he was in, Baltimore, D.C. He... Ended up having a great relationship with the police down there, I would say for the most part, reading on the history. And that show wasn't a, hey, all right, here's another black drug dealer, and you know, here's the crooked whatever. It was, no, 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 this whole system's messed up, and this show isn't about hope, it's about reality, it's about telling the truth. And Simon sent out a tweet, I think over a year ago, about Sean Hannity at Fox News, and he used the N-word in the tweet. And he used it in a way where he was actually mocking Hannity. So he was using sort of the, you know, look, I mean, I even feel like I'm at risk right now explaining this tweet. But he used, you you just can't use it. And I'm okay with that rule. Like Levitar brings this up and say, hey, white guy, I understand you can't use it. Like I've always, I'm okay with never being able to use that word. But Simon was trying to do it in a way to make fun of Hannity and use it in what would be considered the well, I, you know, even that, like he spelled it a different way in the tweet. All right. I think we're all on the same page here. David Simon got destroyed. 
destroyed. And I get why. It was a stupid tweet. And white guys can't use that word. But knowing Simon's work and knowing that show and seeing some of the reaction from other journalists, I was like, wait a minute. You guys, you guys realize like who David Simon is? And I started DMing. I DMed with a guy from The Atlantic. And I think I was DMing with another guy from Esquire. And I actually said, hey, for those that – like it's a stupid thing to do. But if you know David Simon's life work, it, you, you understand like this isn't – this is not a reflection of, of him being this like outward racist. He, it was a stupid tweet and he's making fun of Hannity. And people were like, no, you don't get it. I know plenty of guys that can play the game. I'm like, so this guy played the game for decades and then wrote a show. And here's what's so great about the book is that in the second season, the first season is replaced where it's, you know, you got the Barksdale crew, Stringer Bell and the underlings from their drug trade and then the cops and everything. And they replaced it with the union and dock workers of Baltimore. And it was more white guys, but the white guys were dealing drugs too. And black actors on the show got upset with Simon because they're like, wait a minute, what's going on here? You're changing the cast. This is a predominantly black show. This is groundbreaking. And Simon's saying, hey, I want to make sure people realize that this is a societal uh, culture thing. This is an economic thing. This is a need-based thing where, where I grew up in covering this city. There's plenty of white kids on the corner too. And I want to show that the white people are involved in this as well, because I don't want this to be about black drug dealers for however many seasons we do that, because that's not fair and that's not telling the true story. So that's where this dude's head was at when he was trying to write the second season of this TV show. And I guess after that tweet, like no one's ever going to process it any differently. And I just think to myself, I go, so what's what's more important? The decades of work of this and a guy whose head is in that place that he's going, no, 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 I got to tell the whole story here. And I'm not leaving white guys out of the game. I'm not leaving the white guys out of here that are doing the screwed up thing. And I just, I don't think anybody, I think people would just rather go, nope, this is what I saw. This is what I hear. And this is how I'm processing it. And I don't want any more information. I just want to say this about it. And that's whether you're accusing Bill Polian of something or, you know, I would struggle with Will and I when we would have some debates and I'd be like, dude, when, when is it actually ever racist to you? Because like you can't you can't be the person that never thinks it is but i don't think it makes any sense to always think that it you know that it also is in in the case of the lamar thing all right so we get a little deep there towards the end uh the podcast is already top 5 from espn that's huge the numbers came out Sarudio super pumped about that the downloads per episode are incredible so keep it going subscribe uh leave the rate review deal and we'll uh, we'll keep this thing rolling